1: Welcome to The Film Board, the movie conversation podcast reviewing the latest releases that you've seen and want to talk about. My name is Andy Nelson, host of the Next Real Film Podcast. On this episode, we're talking about the eighth film in The Conjuring universe, continuing the paranormal adventures of Ed and Lorraine Warren. It's The Conjuring. The Devil Made Me Do It.
2: Hey! You okay there? Jesus. I think I heard someone. This is
1: Ed Warren here with Lorraine. All right, let's get started. Residents of Brookfield were shocked this afternoon by the broad daylight murder of Bruno Sauls.
3: The court accepts the existence of God every time a witness swears to tell the truth.
1: I think it's about time they accept the existence of the devil.
2: Whatever was going on, whatever happened that day, that was not Arnie. It's a witch's totem. We think your family was cursed. And that connection's still open.
0: Andy, have you heard about these membership plans we have over at The Next Reel? Membership plans? Tell me more. For just $1 a month, that's practically nothing, you can become a One Reeler member and get access to member channels over on Discord.
1: But I'm already a member on Discord.
0: Yeah, but you don't have access to the special
1: channels. Ooh, so what's on these special member-only channels?
0: You know that Saturday matinee show?
1: Oh yeah, the one I get every Monday when the hosts talk about news and trailers, play movie-related games, and then they challenge each other with their list of films-related somehow to the movie that we reviewed that week? That's the one. Members get access
0: to the Show Talk channel, where they can vote on these lists each week. Ooh,
1: wait, wait, wait. You, you mean there's a vote? I, I love voting. Mama always said, vote early and vote often.
0: Now, if you bump your membership to the two-reeler tier, which costs a measly $5 a month, practically the same you'd pay for a fancy coffee drink, you get so much more.
1: Oh, uh, what more is there?
0: two-reelers not only get everything the one-reelers get... (laughs) That's a given. ...but they also get access to live streams to watch the shows when they actually record, or any time thereafter. You mean I have to stop doing this in my bathrobe? Two-reelers also get to be a part of the pre-show chat with hosts before every film board episode
1: i like it i like it two reelers get every show before regular listeners and without ads oh you mean they don't have to sit through this (laughs) count me in but the best benefit of all members
0: get bonus member only episodes i love that it's an exciting time to be alive what can i say so how do i sign up it's easy. Just head to thenextreel.com slash membership. com slash membership? thenextreel.com slash membership. The access to member-only channels in Discord, early access to shows, access to live streams, and member bonus episodes. Sign up today.
1: We have a full house here today joining in to chat about this movie. The devil made us watch it, so let's <laughs> dig in. First up, Tommy Metz the 3rd. How are you Tommy?
3: It is a pleasure to be here. I'm doing great, Andrew.
1: Excellent. Uh Pete Wright, always nice to have your voice. Just following the adventures of Ed and Lorraine. That's, That's right. all I do. <laughs> we, we <laughs> they need some uh, cute music behind uh behind that following their adventures. And I can't wait till the the children's uh, animated spinoff. Too. That's <laughs>
0: it's gross. Oh yeah. <laughs>
3: Like maybe like Warren babies, like (laughs) muffin babies?
1: (laughs) Why has that not been a thing yet? We'll never know. And from Synapse and the Farsighted, we've got Justin Harlan here to share his thoughts. Welcome, Justin.
2: Hey, everybody. Thanks for having me.
1: Hey, Justin. Thank you so much for joining us. Yes, we are thrilled to have you. And we're going to be talking about The Conjuring. This is the third of the film. It's the eighth of this universe. Uh, let's get our initial thoughts. And as we talk about our initial thoughts, let's also talk about your familiarity with this whole universe and all, all the other films of it. So, Tommy, let's start you off.
3: Hello. Um, I, well, yes, I'm very familiar with the universe. So much so that I actually have conspiracy theories that Insidious is somehow like a sister universe to it. But maybe it's just because all the films look exactly the same. Spoiler alert. I went into this movie really wanting to like it. And it's a movie. Um, I think that they have really – uh it's interesting what they did. They really deviated from sort of the basic conjuring and even Annabelle idea of uh, the aesthetic of the movie of just really centering it around one place and really haunted housing it. This was a much more spread open universe. I think uh while it had some really great set pieces for me, the changing of things was to its detriment overall, but we'll see.
1: We'll see. Pete, how about you?
0: Well, I, uh, hate these movies, all of them, because of what they do to me. <laughs> I hate the whole idea of creaks and and, and scratches in my house, and uh, it all it scares the crap out of me. So these movies, these are my least favorite of uh, uh, horror movies, and I think it is movies like this that made me not watch horror movies for 20 years. Like, I just, like, I, I realized coming back to, I don't mind people, like, brutal vivisection, I don't mind monsters and creatures, I don't mind any of that stuff, but creeping around in the house, The conjure, First Conjuring, Did me in like that was uh, (laughs) incredibly effective uh, movie for me. I did not enjoy my experience with it, but for what it was incredibly effective, I hadn't watched any of these movies. I over the last two days, I've watched uh, what five of them uh, trying to get caught up. I feel like I know what I'm uh, what what the universe is all about and This movie did not live up to the others that I have seen so far, but I really appreciate what they were trying to do. It just was not as effective as as I think the rest. So I I look forward to digging into some of this stuff with you guys.
1: Excellent. Yeah, I I can imagine that your children, uh, when they ask to play the the let's let's. You know, close our eyes and clap and and play hide and seek. Don't you just stop talking? Stop space, talking. Right? Shut
0: up! I can't even hear that. Shut up! Yeah, no, I just twitch all the time. It's just every I can't look into a dark corner because clapping hands just come out into it, just jut out into the light.
3: I like the idea of Pete in a fully lit room, but still lighting match after match. <laughs> just more light, more light.
1: But
2: Justin, what's your familiarity with
1: this universe?
2: First and foremost, I'd point to point out that. Uh, I'm sorry they scare you so much, Pete.
1: <laughs> Thank you.
0: <laughs> However, oh.
2: my 12-year-old, who's been watching these movies since he was nine, <laughs> these, are, these are his favorite movies in the whole world. <laughs> so, uh, oh, I'm oh, oh, so there.
0: excited you're here.
2: <laughs> <laughs> um, I'm, a, I'm a horror movie junkie. Uh, I like a lot of genre film, um, a lot of stuff. And and this is a, a series that I really like. Um, for all the glitz and Hollywood of it, it works. I don't always love a lot of the Hollywood glitz in horror movies. Uh, but I feel like these ones all all work and I will agree though, to me, this was the least effective of the main trilogy so far. Um, and I'm familiar with most of the other films. Uh, I skipped the first Annabelle because I was told to, and I feel pretty (laughs) good about it. Um, but even, uh, the second and third Annabelle's I, I probably will put above this as well. um, But I I didn't hate it. I mean, I liked it. I still liked it. I just liked it less.
1: Yeah, I think that's where I fall with this one as well. And I I did just manage to finish all the films that I had missed. So I watched The Curse of La Llorona just the other day. And so, you know, which was Michael Chavez's first film. You know, this is his second taking over from uh, James Wan, who had directed the first two. And I don't know if it was him completely, but it, it surprised me that that when I watched The Curse of La Llorona, and James Wan had this to say, while working closely with Chavez on The Curse of La Llorona, I got to know him as a filmmaker. Chavez's ability to bring emotion to a story and his understanding of mood and scares make him a perfect fit to direct the next Conjuring film. It surprised me because I saw the film and I'm like, hmm, it wasn't that great. In fact, it's probably my least favorite of all the films in the universe, which is, you know, saying something, because I really enjoy a lot of these films, even though it does have some that are fairly low points, like you pointed out Annabelle, which I think is kind of a, another low point in the franchise. But The Curse of La Llorona, while it does some interesting things, largely just felt like I have seen everything in the film before. And and that is what drew Juan to hire uh, him for this film. So that was a surprise to me. Um. Because also, I just don't feel like I'm, I'm seeing much that he's doing here in this universe. Uh, you know, I, I I, don't know. James Wan, I think, has, you know, certainly created a career for himself making some pretty scary films and and, you know. And franchises like, you know, you brought up Insidious, Tommy, and obviously Saw. And so and he's doing other franchises, too. But uh, but I like that he's really kind of digging into these types of films and doing really interesting stuff. And I love that he's latched on to the stories of Ed and Lorraine Warren and how, how they've been exploring these. And I can't help but feel like, OK, so with this film, were they just is the reason that we got the film that we got? I mean, and I'm curious what you all think. Why were they just trying to get away from the haunted house tropes and and moving into something else? Because this, I felt like it was basically a demon possession. And are we like looking at a haunted person now? Uh, I don't know. Do any of you have any thoughts about kind of this shift in in the way that we're looking at this story now, as opposed to what was so effective in the first two?
2: My thought, really, on that is just the fact that this is probably the greatest or most famous ed and lorraine warren story out there or one of them um and i think that i think they had the intention to put a cap on the series i think this is probably the end you think i could be wrong i it felt like it though um and so i think they tried to do something bigger in scope as well to kind of make it like the final hurrah um but i mean anyone who's familiar with ed and lorraine warren in real life they're nothing like ed and lorraine warren in the films in the films they're they're (laughs) superheroes they're they're Wonderful people, and in real life, they were hucksters, and thats the nicest way I can put it uh so so i so you know, I put it out there to say that like I think it's just because this was one of the biggest most you know it, it was in the media it was a big deal uh this this whole case, and uh while the film says it's you know the one that proved the existence of the devil, they literally uh threw that defense out before they even. <laughs> held the trial in in real life and and said it was self defense so you know i mean it, 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 it's obviously fake, but I think in the story of that we watched the film we watched it was meant to be the exclamation point on the series. I could be wrong though there could be more to follow
0: that was that was an interesting point to to your point, and that was a thing that I think. The, where reality breaks my interest in the, the story itself, because I know that they make this big deal about how they're going to prove the existence of the devil in court and they never go back and do that. And it's because, you know, the next line after that is the judge saying, oh, no, you can't do that. We're not going to, this is a court of <laughs> law, not demonology. So we're going to go ahead and, and wipe that out. Uh, but I feel like that setup taking us into this sort of law and order uh, arena. Is really fun. And as long as you're going to play fast and loose with with actual events, let's go ahead and see how that plays out. Why don't we get to see, you know, some some courthouse spookery? I I think that would have been a, a really interesting way to take it.
3: 100%. That was my big, one of my biggest things is I was more interested in, let's, I want to see how that court case. Yeah. Cause I, I've, if you guys have seen the exorcism of Emily Rose, I think it's called, yeah. it's the same idea, but they do it in court and they're really bringing up, Oh, it, that wasn't, uh, demons. That was this psychological phenomenon or that was this kind of, uh, physical ailment. All of that was really fascinating about that movie. It really, this was, yeah. It was just it left. I would have rather (laughs) spent the time if we're not going to get a haunted house and we're going to just be now in the woods and now we're at this other house and now we're in a morgue. I mean, they went so many places. That's just not what I come to The Conjuring for. That's just a much more. This had the feeling not really, but it had more of the feeling of like when they take another script and meld it to be a part of a series. Yes. And you can tell this didn't start as a blank. That's what this felt like.
2: So it felt like a Hellraiser movie? <laughs> <laughs> right, exactly. Yeah, because
3: yeah, it's like a completely different story and at the end Pinhead shows up and he's like, take that, jerks! And you're like, wait, what?
0: He was here the whole time? <laughs> yeah. Well, that, I think that's a really
3: interesting point, Tommy, because what
0: they do, by even going to all the different like places, uh, they still make the same movie we've already seen. They do the same setups, the same scares, the same stuff it's just you know spread out. It, it, they could have made it in a single location right with right. the same scare setups and and uh, so that i think that's a challenge for the film
1: yeah right it could have been centered around the prison where they're holding uh arnie right i mean we could have just had them focusing on the stuff there and it it's it, part of it felt like I don't know, and maybe I'm just reading into this too much, but it felt like, you know, when you have actors who are part of a franchise, like we have, you know, Patrick Wilson and Vera Farmiga, who I very much love in everything they do, and I really love what they've been bringing to these two characters over the course of uh, this universe and the different films that take place in it. But part of it felt like, you know, with kind of the further exploration of their love story and how they met and all of this sort of stuff that we're getting in this film, that, the two of them said, you know, I, I'm, I'm, I'm fine doing it again, but I want to do a little more. (laughs) Mm -hmm. And and, and, like, I I just don't want to be stuck in a house all the time. Can we go out a little bit? Like, I I couldn't help but feel like there were some notes from the actors who wanted to do something else with it, because it felt like a lot of it was like, well, why are we here? Why are we over at John Noble's creepy basement now? Like, Mm -hmm. like, there were things in the story that just felt like, Yeah, just like, I don't know why this is, you know, why are we now over here in this particular place dealing with this stuff? And so that was frustrating to me that we kind of, Hmm. we took those roads. But it's not to say that there's not effective stuff going on in this film. And I think that's, that's something I think is certainly has been proven by this franchise is how they effectively craft these ghost stories, or these demon stories, uh, as really, I guess, a lot of them fall to, but the way that they move the camera, and I, I find like the camera pans, like there are some really just subtle camera pans, like to, I'm going to look to the left, and now I'm going to look to the right, and I'm, the camera's going to come back, but now there's something new in the frame, or now there's something missing in the frame, and and so I, I like the way they do that, or they have a, have a person Standing there and then move to reveal something behind them. And I guess that it's almost become so tropey in this type of film that they do it. But I just find that Juan was doing it so effectively. And so I like those sorts of things. And so there and I guess you could argue jump scares. You know, they certainly love playing with jump scares in this franchise Um, and maybe to to a point where it's overused and ineffective. But I mean, are there other elements that they're doing well in this film, it, like you know whether it relates to the previous films or not?
0: I, I have a question. Can I ask a question of the expert panel? Um, because this this has <laughs> bugged me uh, sure about Pete. about these. <laughs> Later movies. Um, I, I feel like one of the things that is so perfect in the first Conjuring is the timing of these scares, right? The timing of those pans and the high angles and the long lingering shots where you don't know what's going to come out of the dark, but something's going to come out of the dark or, you know, that the shot where you have the the weird, creepy character and you see them in frame for just a minute and then they start running at you at that like hyper speed, and they go, yeah, um, that <laughs> that I think works really well in the Conjuring, the first one and even the second one. In the spin-off movies and in this movie, it doesn't to me. I think the timing of the scares is off. They hmm. they you stay on like there. There's this the the example that I have right in mind. There's the, the where the girl is standing across the hall in the other room and then turns into the the old creepy woman as she runs across and blows the stuff in her face. And it's but but you stay on the girl too long. It's like it, it it's. It sucks all of the intensity out of it because I know exactly what's about to happen, and I'm just not—it's not effective. So a lot of the scares in this movie, I found, were less intense. They'd been ramped down from the movies prior.
2: Yeah, it felt very much like it should not have been an R-rated movie. I actually feel that about most of the series. It wasn't, Yeah, I yeah. three of the Conjuring films are R. Actually, Man, all the, the spinoffs are, too. I think I, The Nun might be PG-13 and Lorona too. Uh, you, or yeah. I, I just said that completely incorrectly. I'm, I can't pronounce Spanish words at all. But <laughs> um, I, I say that to say, like, the first one got rated R because a test audience was so scared when that they actually gave it a higher rating. Wow! They just stuck with that rating since. And the first one is legit. I mean, the first two even, because I think I saw the second one first. So it's actually scarier to me, but only mm. because they're very similar movies. Very similar. And the for one I saw first hit me harder. But that said, the uh, the first two movies, you know, I think are legitimately scary. I don't think I think you're right. I don't think there's a lot of real scares in this movie. Like, I think they attempt the same things, but they don't do them as well. So they don't really hit. Um my i brought up that my 12 year old loved this series my 10 year old wanted to watch with us and he's not as much a horror one and i was like eh. and i kind of feel like he could have watched this one i don't think he could have watched the first two um you know and and it's it's just to say it's not that scary and it really didn't feel like it earned that r rating at all
1: uh, yeah and i can't help but feel like uh, based on my experience with la of the curse of la Llorona, that that Kind of comes from Chavez as the director because I I just felt that film was everything was so expected and nothing was a big surprise and even with Juan coming up with the story uh, with his co writer and uh, producing this I just I don't feel like like Chavez like just gives it the 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 sense of power and dread that Juan had been able to do with the previous two films and that's and that's frustrating for me.
3: The thing that always seems to work at least for me the best is practicality. Is yeah. the the first conjuring was almost completely uh practical. The second one with uh Captain Uh, twisty? I don't remember. There's like (laughs) a crooked crooked guy. Yeah, Yeah, it started to really get more and more CGI, and then this one goes even further with monsters coming out of shadows that are clearly not possible. Uh, Insidious stays really practical, too. Sometimes in a ridiculous way, where it's just people in a bunch of makeup going, but (laughs) that, for me, is always going to be like Pete was saying, with the pans, or like you were both saying, pans to hide, pans to reveal, people behind people. That's always the most effective. One of the things that also breaks this movie for me, um, is I think the demon was too powerful.
1: Okay. Interesting.
3: Uh, one of the things that, that happens in the Conjurings is so much is just in someone's head or, uh, they're going, they're with like a medium and they're going through, it's just one person sort of experiencing things. This, uh, demon is bringing dead people back to life, is throwing people around. It was almost it just didn't have, I guess it's the same thing I'm saying. It didn't have that haunted house. I want plates to fly around. I don't want an enormous morgue beast to like show up in multiple <laughs> locations chilling out. I didn't really care that, for some of that.
0: That You're talking about Bloated Man now? Yes. Yeah. The big yeah. chasey guy? That, I, yeah, I didn't care for that either. I think just too, too much like CG augmentation And and it just it really just for a series like this, I found that stuff really distracting.
1: Well, and that's I mean, so there's two things here. One is the, the what the demon's doing. And two is the, the CG. Because I, I definitely have an issue with the CG as well. I, I, I feel like it was just too much. And and as creepy as, like, Morgue guy was, it still just felt like there was a lot of CG enhancements that just made it work. And I, I feel like when we do see, like, the woman creepy creature when she kind of opens her mouth and stuff, I feel like they're doing some of the mummy mouth stretches, too, which also I just I find so tiring. Um, but going back to the what the demon's doing... I, Help me out here, Correct me if I'm wrong is is the morgue guy actually there, or because I know there are points where we're we're made it's made clear where what we're actually seeing is all just stuff that they're putting in or that this creature is putting into their heads
3: when he's in the multiple locations, yes, I don't think that that's just a vision, but I think he really is seems to be standing up in the morgue. Because they end with him, like, crashing when he finally wrenches Lorraine's hand away. He's still there. Whereas I would have loved it if they would have (gasps) gone, and everything's back to normal. I love it more if it's the, the playground in your head versus I'm a demon marionette that I can just make anything happen. It's just, it's too much. It's too much power. I had that exact thought. Like, what? So at the end, if he is real... Literally, this demon
0: is walking across town to get from the morgue <laughs> to the house, and I—that suddenly makes it funny. <laughs> like, how? That's not what you want me to feel. Taxi.
2: <laughs> I, I immediately reacted the second time he showed up. You know, in the next scene, I was going. So he followed him home. Yeah, like, right. like I was so confused because. Exactly what you're saying. Like he was clearly meant to be real in the morgue. I must not have been real elsewhere. I don't think so. But I was so confused. And I agree with you in the, in the he the demons too powerful thing, because it's weird to say about a movie about, you know, demons. And it's clearly in another world, but it felt, not grounded enough. <laughs> if that makes any sense? No, that really—that's <laughs> yes, a great totally way of nice. saying it.
3: I get why it's a weird thing to say, but no, it's it. It's I keep saying the exact same word too much, but I, maybe that's it. When I say that there's too much power, it's like there's just too much. It's no longer a cat and mouse. Let me so it seems like the demon could just win in a heartbeat.
2: I'm unable to suspend yeah. my disbelief anymore. Like it's yeah. so right. powerful that it's like no. Nope not going to happen not real
1: right my opinion is that they they've ramped this series up at, to this point where they're they're integrating this particular story in which as we pointed out was you know a real trial of this kid who was demon possessed and you know you know the trial whole thing was the devil made me do it kill this guy but when you read through the case, like that's kind of where it ends. And as you said, it, it, they didn't, uh, allow that to be kind of the reason, uh, for in the, in the court case. And he ended up spending time in prison. All of the stuff with, Uh, With the the other former priest, John Noble's character who lives in the creepy house by the river and his daughter, the occultist, that all like seems to be completely made up for this particular story. And I think that's where the for me, the issues end up coming because it felt like they tried to make something up that just seems so far-fetched and so big, it just, I end up struggling with it. And, you know, the whole, like, creepy basement and all the church things that she's drawn to, like, I I don't know, I just, I felt like we're going maybe too big here. And maybe that's why it feels, like, not grounded, because they just, they made it just so, so large. Yeah, It's two movies.
3: It's two different movies smashed together, and that's why when we first meet Noble, and I think what you wrote the rundown about, do we really believe that John Noble's not going to come back? It's totally like Chekhov's Noble. He's just like, yeah, I'm just going to be Good over here gardening. And it's like, yeah, we'll see you in the third act. Um, yeah, right, right. But what was frustrating about it, because there wasn't enough of a connection, you assume that when you go down to the basement, we're going to get the book of the vampire. That's where we're going to get the explanation of what's really going on here. And instead, yeah. he's like, look, spooky, huh? Bye. Yeah. That's a sign. He even of sets it up. Ever-
0: this is why you're here,
3: right? That, yeah. That's not
2: why
0: we're here. Actually, that's not why out.
3: we're here, and so it's going through motions but not fulfilling them because they don't need to be there in the first place. The book of the vampire happens so much later and just seems so weirdly put in.
1: And I just, I just have to follow up on that point because their, uh, their guy Drew, who's working with them, like I was convinced that he was, uh, like a, a. A background actor because he doesn't speak so long in the movie. Like every time we see him, when he's at the beginning filming the the whole initial exorcism, he doesn't say a word. All he is is the cameraman. And like even later, he
3: but he's in all three. But no, I assume I've always assumed he's
1: someone's nephew. <laughs> yeah, because it's like he doesn't say a single thing until all of a sudden that third act twist. He's like, oh, by the way, I found this book, and I'm like, oh, you're going to talk now. You've been like mute then all the way up to this point. It was just that <laughs> yeah. was strange. Strangely <laughs> constructed in the script. I guess that was my issue with it.
0: Well, I, and that's. I think we've we've nailed it. That there, there's too much story that they put in here for for one single good movie. Like they're they're just. I think seeds that of what could have been really fun scary movies. And and they you know in playing fast and loose with the with the the real true story. They removed the context that made the original, uh, like the other two movies better. And, and so I, I struggle uh, a, a lot with that. Um, it, it just does, it no longer makes any good sense.
3: Along that same kind of thought of, uh, the opening, the cold open with young Luke from Haunting of Hill House, um, is really effective. I thought that was outstanding, and unfortunately, it set a promise for a movie that was not able to, because I just wanted to stick in that house. I would have been fine just hanging out in that house. And then when we move to the kennel and he does the James one, every single Conjuring has the exact same, not exact same, but that long tracking shot that gives you the full 180, 360 of here's where we're going to be and look at all the things we're going to play with. And then we leave the kennel by the end of that uh by you know during the first act uh it keeps promising things that i am excited about and then taking them away there's no reason to give us that huge kennel shot because we're out of there after the stabbing
2: well and speaking of promises it doesn't deliver you mentioned you know uh the exorcism of emily rose earlier um which is honestly a movie i absolutely adore um yeah. and uh and in the marketing for this movie it felt like there was going to be actual courtroom stuff yeah and there really no. wasn't like there really wasn't at all. And, and honestly, the, the, uh, Emily Rose is based on a really, really interesting real life story and actually sticks really closely to the real life story in a lot of ways. Um, so it's nothing like this movie it sticks to the story. Um, but, uh, <laughs> but, but I really wanted to see some more cause I haven't seen since that movie something that blends this, uh, unique religious horror world with, you know, courtroom drama. And I kind of love the way that they played together in that movie. And I kind of was excited to see their movie do that.
3: Agreed.
1: It seems like they were setting that up, especially they emphasize it in the trailer. And then Ed has that great line uh, where he's saying, you know, the courtroom always has people
3: recognizes but, like recognize recognizes the, the existence of, existence of god. god
1: yeah yeah right away so why can't they i think it's time that they start paying attention to the devil or whatever it is and it's like that's great and it does make it feel like oh there's going to be some interesting courtroom stuff here and it it totally gets dropped at the end as just kind of just kind of a wrap-up text that we yeah. get about what happens it's like oh really that's where yeah, we're going to go with
0: this yeah it was such a, a mic drop line too and you want to see like how does that play out i want to see ed and lorraine in research porn you know i'm want to see them do for like for like paranormal research what the girl with the dragon tattoo did to like iPhoto you know what I mean like I I want to see that (laughs) and we never got that and I think We, we move from there. We've got now the boy who is kind of the, the principal scare. He's possessed in the beginning and then it moves to Arnie. The, the, you know, the, the thing moves along. And so we move from these characters that I feel like I want to build an attachment to. I feel like I'm supposed to really like them. And then, and I think it would have been really interesting had we been able to stick with the boy. But because there was some weird allegiance to the truth, uh, to the, the true story, we move on to the older guy. And now I don't really care anymore. I kind of was done. I, I was okay when it was the young bespectacled kid on the waterbed. That was, that was going to be a that cool was, scene. Yeah. And, and we lost it. That, that's, I, I started losing interest.
2: Why have an attachment to the real story if you're not going to actually have an attachment to the real story? So, like, it's almost like we're half committed to being part of this, this real world. But we're not really committed because we go so many different directions. I mean, you know, I brought up real Ed in the Rain versus the movie Ed in the Rain. I mean, you asked at the beginning of this conversation, we still haven't pointed out anything that we really liked, um, what was good in the movie. <laughs> and actually, Ed and rain are great. They're they're phenomenal. And like to me, like yeah. every time those two are on screen together, they are amazing. I love them as actors and everything they're in, but I really love them as these characters, even if they're not at all based in the reality of these characters.
0: I, I think that's true. And I actually think what they did with the characters, you know, Andy, you made the point, like, I think they just, we want to do something more. The something more <laughs> I thought was great. I liked the, the, I liked what they did with the characters. I could watch Vera Farmiga all day long. I mean, who are you, who are we kidding? But the scene in which she, where where she first confronts the witch and says, like, how are you doing this? And, and tells Ed the connection works both ways. Like, that was a great and intense sequence. I thought that was really great. So, again, like anytime they're actively engaging with the the demon together as a as the the you know the scoobs i i think was was really fun um there, there was that great parallel scene where they have arnie in the hospital and he's floating and uh they they have ed and lorraine doing their thing in another location and they kept cross-cutting back and forth between like doing these things what the the girlfriend is doing to arnie i, I thought that was so so intense and and uh, really a great a great beat so there are Really, there are things that that do work.
3: I like the uh, he does it, I think, twice uh, the motif of um, motif check me out. Um, I got so excited by Sigmotif, I forgot what I was going to talk about. I like the part with the call. There's uh, when characters go through sort of a uh, semi-translucent, I was saying call, but like a membrane. It's always uh, when Lorraine is under the house and she's going into the rat hotel to find the witch totem. She passes through that gauze kind of thing. And then you would think that uh, you would want to just stay in there now because to go away from... Uh, from... from this smaller area would let the air out of the scene. But instead he does this neat thing where he then goes back and films it where she's now on the other side of the gauze. She's passed through into a new kind of area, and it's very effective. It makes it seem like she's in more danger. The same thing happens at the morgue when they both go through the gauze when she's trying to connect. I thought that was neat. And I my assumption is that the idea is passing. It's always when they're about to really have a big reveal about something involving the other side, the supernatural. And I thought that was a nice way to do that. One thing that I thought was really interesting, Pete, this goes with you with the connection with, um, with, uh, mean lady Magoo is seeing through the killer's eyes. She's seen through her, seeing through the killer eyes, being able to see that there's a rock nearby to grab and to hit her. That's a really interesting idea of being able to be seeing through your eyes and someone else's eyes to help you. It was just never explored. And then what was that part that I thought was fascinating where there were multiple Lorraines? Yeah. In that one hallway. And they're like, right. It's almost like different uh, timelines or loops. And then one is ahead. What was that? That was great. That was such a cool idea that is unexplained and completely unexplored. But you could make an entire like set pieces of that. I'm just, I'm pointing out things that I liked that I wish I there were more of, <laughs> right. because that was really interesting.
1: It was a great moment. And that's the sort of thing that, like, they really And it was do, practical. It's practical. And I feel like there's something here that the demon is doing where, you know, she's you know it has no connection to reality, or she's trying to trying to find this stuff and it's creating these visions, which we've seen it do i mean that's what it does is it it makes you think something's happening and then you accidentally kill the person you love sort of thing and that's right. that's what's been going on and so she but and so she's in this place where she's completely lost, and that was great because then you assume that. The uh, the creepy uh, satanist woman is tracking her down, and it, it never quite gets there. But it was a great moment. And Pete, you you brought up the the moment where Lorraine then comes like running around the corner toward Ed, which uh, and then all of a sudden she goes through a shadow, and it becomes the the satanist woman, and she blows the dust into Ed's face. And I actually thought that was a really effective moment. I mean, I'd seen it in the trailer, but still, I hmm. I thought that. It was effectively done, like the way that they kind of, OK, here comes Lorraine running to Ed because they're both lost in these tunnels trying to find each other. And then all of a sudden it's the woman and she kind of blows this stuff into Ed's face. I Yeah. And I, I think it was more effective in the trailer. Well, and that's the thing. That's, that's the frustrating <laughs> thing with these moments in trailers, because then you've seen it. You know what's going to happen. Yeah. Right. Yeah. I I do have a question, a story question now, because I was a little confused. And maybe this goes to the issues in the way that they chose to craft this this story and what the demon and the Satanist are actually doing. But my understanding is that she basically is making a deal with the demon and then she to get these souls. And so she has to, like, take over there's two people involved one and they love each other. And she has to basically have one of them kill the other. And then the other one will kill themselves. And it's kind of a suicide sort of thing. And then the, the, the demon can get both of those souls. And she seems to be doing it over and over again. She did it with the two girls in the forest. She did it with, uh, well, and then I guess this is where I start getting confused because then she takes over the kid. And I wasn't sure who the other person was, I guess, just because Arnie agrees to take over the the possession of the demon like I, I wasn't sure what was going on there but then in the middle of like this one
0: wasn't it ed no no well because she says i'm gonna stop your heart old man and and is when she he's sitting on top of him and it was arnie who pulled him off and that's
1: when arnie made the trade i well i didn't think that ed was the person like that would have been the second in that pairing like okay. it would have been like, maybe the boy and his parent or something yeah. um well it was cuz he comes out and runs and stabs, stabs his dad, dad so him. i so i guess maybe yeah, that would have right. been who he was going to kill if he if he had been able to and wasn't stopped but then in the middle of this one before they ever allow that that i don't know demonic pact to finish because I assume that one has to finish before the other one starts, then all of a sudden it does seem like now she's started up a new one where she's put the totem in the Warren's house, and now Ed and Lorraine, she's after them, too. So now she's got, like, two things going on at the same time, and I I guess I got a little confused about the story and how all of this was going on, you know, together. Because I don't know how much satisfaction the demon needs, but it seems like now the demon needs two souls. (laughs) Yeah, so many souls.
0: Well, yeah. And I, that it's was actually point. one of my notes. What the hell is actually going, going on here during the climax
3: of the movie?
0: I don't, <laughs> I, I couldn't figure it out anymore. I'd kind of, kind of let it go, but, but they, uh, I, I do think that they, you know, part of the reason that I was able to hang on even with that question, what is going on here was because it did look good. Like the climax of the movie, the, the final sequence, the, the super slow mo of the breaking of the table. Um, I, I thought all of that destruction actually looked really cool, and uh that whole sledge happy sequence when Ed is like you know mm-hmm. hammering away at everything i I thought that was that was engaging it kept my interest
1: yeah I mean it's entertaining and, and that's what I love about it is like I can watch this stuff yeah. all day like I have so much fun watching the movie Ed, I have issues with it, but I still have fun with it, and they do a great job with it
2: yeah complete agreement with uh, how the, the ending looked cool but I'm not exactly sure what happened <laughs> you know? I mean, uh, maybe maybe upon future Revisiting, I'll understand it a little clearer. But yeah, I'm. There was a lot of a lot of back and forth that that threw me off on exactly what was going on. But I did think the spectacle of it worked. I thought the visuals worked. I thought the the CG that was present towards the end all worked. Didn't look like bad CG like some of the stuff in the earlier in the film does. I mean, I wouldn't say any of it is bad bad CG. it's just sometimes some of it's very like you said before, clearly not real. Um, and it breaks that it breaks that a little bit, but in the end, it doesn't feel that way. It all feels, it all works, but I don't exactly know. Like, if someone were to sit, tell me, "Hey, I just need you to explain the end of the movie," I'd be like, "No, I'm not going to bother. You just just watch it."
0: Not going to do that.
2: <laughs>
0: I won't. Yeah. <laughs> I I, uh, I I think that's really interesting too. I I did write down like they're really leaning into the clicky body transformations. You know, when they did that in the first movie, a little bit where you and then they did it in the second they do it in all the movies and they do it more and more in every movie there's always something that click 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 and turns into that really tall actor uh i can't remember his name but a- anyway like they do that and i just i feel like that's one of those things that was so effective because it was used l- in a limited fashion and now it's just like oh, when are they going to do the clicky body transformation i'm i uh, I, I was kind of done with that but i think that's the that's the point for me in a movie that made its uh, that that really cut its teeth on practicality. Introducing all of these CG effects really stand out so much yeah. more, so yeah. much more. And I'm I'm very pro CG. Like I love great big, you know, uh, you know CG stuff. Uh, but it, it just it's a high jump, low ceiling in this movie for me.
3: Pretzel Boy in the beginning though was effective.
1: That's what I was going to say. Like there were times where the CG was really effective and it's when they're twisting yeah any of the body twisting stuff like that
2: that all worked yeah, it looked real yeah i mean real enough you know i mean it definitely didn't look bad
1: no like and and when arnie's doing it in the in the prison when he's going through that exorcism toward the end like i thought they he was kind of doing the little twists and the way that his body would kind of like unfold itself to stand up and stuff i was like you know they i actually was buying into the way that that movement was happening when it comes to the cg and that's where i think the cg is more effective is when it they're taking, they're taking it in limited uh, doses to just enhance what's actually there, as opposed to just modify like doing a whole face on somebody that's just clearly a big CG thing. And that's that's what I'm more frustrated with how they're playing with the CG
2: here. You mentioned the scene at the end, uh, towards the end, with the exorcism in the prison. That that just yeah. put a thought in my head. I see earlier in in your notes you mentioned the exorcist. And and we didn't even talk about that here yet, but that there were some nods to the original Exorcist uh, early on in the film. I thought that was a nod to Exorcist Three. Uh, a lot of the staging of how they did some of the the jail uh, exorcism. Maybe it's just because I'm a big Exorcist Three fan. Again, I am too, Justin. Yeah.
3: That's my favorite yeah. of the Exorcists. Yeah, me
2: too. It's the most fun by by all means. Yeah, um, but I, it, some of the staging in that scene reminded me a little bit of the. The prison exorcism towards the end of Exorcist Three, and uh, I just That's threw right. that out there to say I, I'm almost certain there's an influence there.
1: <laughs> That's interesting because, and uh, you know, I haven't seen The Exorcist Three, which apparently I need to see, uh, but I really did enjoy. Uh, even though it, you know it was just clearly just a nod, but just that shot of the house at night with the priest standing in front of it and everything, right. I'm like, the okay, I the, yeah, you know, like the yeah, like the whole thing getting out of the yeah. cab and yeah, yeah. So there's definitely creative elements that they're using to kind of pay those sorts of things off, but um because I felt the prison exorcism could have used a little more, and maybe it was just because the priest clearly <laughs> like he's the church or you know he's the the prison priest and doesn't necessarily deal in exorcisms that actually for me made it kind of funny, because he clearly was just like, I have no idea how to deal with this thing as the, as it starts really happening. So I, I kind of thought that was
0: pretty funny.
3: <laughs> demon, I command you to quit it!
1: <laughs> <laughs> please! No,
0: please! demon, <laughs> Come on! <laughs> well, and that that leads to something that I've been thinking about a lot as I've been watching all of these movies, which is the idiot skeptic trope. And uh, one of the things that I like about the first two Conjuring movies is that you they're pretty they're lighter on the idiot skeptic, right? They're lighter on the, and, and I think that's that's really nice in these movies, because I get, it's so tiresome when you have the character who just straight up doesn't believe what's going on, and it's, there's more in two, because you have Famke, uh, or not Famke Jansen, um, Franca Potente, uh, her character who is just literally only exists in the movie to be a pain in the butt at the restaurant. Like, nobody believes you, you should go home, we need to get you out of the house, and then she's never brought back in the movie again, and and, and so, what I want when I have the idiot skeptic is I want them to learn a lesson. I, if you're going to give me a trope like that, you need to give me a tropey vengeance lesson. Like I need the cop who says, "I just want to know what she's capable of." I need him to learn a really clear lesson at the end of the movie. And I feel like this, it was just sort of a mechanical. We're going to insert this as as a uh, as an act two complication. And we don't really care. It's just the lowest of the low-hanging fruit that we can possibly throw into the movie to get us back to the the possession part. And, uh, I think and, the cop, and so, all
2: he says is like, "Well, I couldn't have done it without you." And that's the end. Like, yeah, sure, good story. Yeah, right. yeah. It,
0: it's just unresolved, and I, I didn't care for it.
3: I thought the turnaround with the lawyer was funny and satisfying. You've seen that, yeah. that joke structure over and over again. But for her to say, "Show me what you got," yeah, and then the the pre-lap of the and she is visibly shaken in the courtroom. I thought that I was like oh, <laughs> yeah. fun. I was like this movie's going to have fun. And then yeah. it forgot to. It yeah. forgot. Yeah. yeah.
1: Yeah, you're right. You know, I, I I didn't mind though with the cop just going back to your point on that, Pete. I didn't mind that they actually did bring it around in the end if for no other reason just to show the cop at like a little gravesite for the the girl who had died. Like I was like, okay, well that was an interesting callback to just kind of include. They didn't need to include that, but for me that actually Ah, uh, made me gl- more glad that 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 was there. Just as far as that whole part of the story, I want to I want to talk about a. Um, uh, this is a trope, Pete, that we have talked about on on the the uh, the next reel on our other podcast. Um, it is a it is a particular trope that I think we called out when we were watching Indiana Jones in the Last Crusade, and it is a trope <laughs> that the Indiana Jones films use regularly, and it's a trope where. If the camera does not see something, it does not exist in the film <laughs> until that thing is there. And it, it it was in the trailer and it drives me nuts because it's it's just such a I don't know. It's so poorly put together. But we have um, we start with the back of Arnie as he's walking down the street. This is immediately after the murder. <laughs> we see him walking down the street from the from behind. We see a police car coming toward him, pass him. And stop. And the cop gets out and says, what's wrong, son? And and Arnie turns around and says, I think I hurt someone. And then the camera pans down to reveal he's covered in blood. Covered in His blood. hands are covered in blood. And the cop looks down and visibly is surprised like, oh, my God. Like <laughs> You didn't see that when you were driving up or when you first turned around? I just have to say, that was an element of filmmaking that I just, I found pretty ineffective the way that it is put together. Did anyone else notice that at all?
0: Absolutely.
1: Yeah, (laughs) Yeah, absolutely. His skin was all
0: discolored. Like, he looked here, he was shambling along the street like a zombie covered in blood. And the cop is like, just checking you out,
3: man. (laughs) It's just too much. Maybe he's practicing good driving. (laughs) (laughs) Ten and two, eyes on the road.
1: It's one of those silly things. I mean it's it's not a huge issue in the context of the story, but the way that the, the it was structured, I just I I thought it was pretty funny.
2: I don't know. I watch a lot of true crime with my wife because you know, uh, middle-aged white women love true crime. Period. It's just <laughs> So just, true. True fact. And um and so uh so we watch a lot of true crime and uh I'm of the belief that a cop really could react that way because they're really not observant sometimes. I mean, when you watch these stories, they're really not always that good. (laughs)
1: That's (laughs) so funny. I didn't see the blood dripping from all of him. (laughs) (laughs) Even though he's responding to the call from Lorraine saying, I think something (laughs) terrible is about to happen at that house. (laughs) Oh, uh, too funny. <laughs> yeah. I I want to um I know we're getting close to wrapping this thing up, but I want to talk a little bit about our villain here. We have uh Eugenie Bondurant. She's playing mm. as she's credited the occultist. And I you know, okay. So, what do we think of her? How how well does she work in context of the story? And uh is she is she bringing enough here? What do you, what did you all think?
3: I like that she wasn't like salivating and and all of that. I'm always prefer a more understated villain to let the spooks do the scary stuff and let the person, cause you know, there was a lot of candles to light and there was a whole bunch of stuff to do. She's got to be fairly on the <laughs> ball. Uh, and so, uh, but, but it did feel like a first draft of that. I would have liked to have given her something more than just, Schoolmarm. <laughs> I'm not exactly sure what she was, but there, there was just a not enough going on.
0: Yeah, I think like a paranormal nurse ratchet would have been like mm. a, a much more sort of textured. Like I felt like she was a character design like a sketch. I I totally agree. That's right. a great way to put it. She wasn't she wasn't understated. She was like non-stated. She filled a hole. And
3: uh, that's I I haven't watched the they nun filled yet. With the but,
0: rehearsals. Yeah. <laughs> yeah.
3: <laughs> right. By accident when she's like at 20% because she wants to save it for her big brain. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs>
0: I, I think she I think it, it could have been something, but this is not a character that I want to spin off of. Like, you know, yeah. the school marm. I don't need three more movies about her. Right. And what did you, What about you, Justin?
1: How would you feel about her?
2: She was thoroughly adequate. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. Like she did the job, but she was not like, there was nothing exceptional about her character. And I, I don't I think I think you're right. I don't think it's necessarily her as an actress in this role. I think it's probably it's just written without anything for her to really do um you know unfortunately i i think uh in a lot of movies actually when you're kind of this occultist type you're either really over the top or you're too understated and she fell on the too understated like it's like it, i feel like a lot of movies don't find the right mix uh for this type of character and uh i can probably only name a few and. If I really thought about it, and that's that's about it. So, you know, I I think that that just unfortunately the way way it rolled in this movie.
0: Well, I almost get the sense that they had her written the way they did because they wanted her to be like the gateway to let the demon do the heavy lifting. And the problem is the demon also didn't do the heavy lifting. So (laughs) you end up with a kind of anemic baddie
1: that, that didn't didn't quite do it. Yeah, it was kind of frustrating. I really liked her look. Like they found an actress who I thought worked perfectly in this type of story. Right? She's just kind of that gaunt, uh, very skinny, as you said, schoolmarm. She definitely has that sort of thing. She would have fit perfectly in the nun. Like I, when I first saw her, I'm like, oh, is she a nun too? Like that's a, immediately where my brain went. And so I thought it was just very funny that they cast someone like that. Um, but I, I thought she was effective as far as how she looked it became weird for me the moment when she was um when Lorraine you brought this moment up Tommy when they're in the morgue and, and Lorraine connects with her and they see each other and then she opens her mouth and speaks and she says what are you doing here and her voice just threw me off because I was like, oh, wait a minute. She just sounds like so normal, so weirdly normal. <laughs> and I don't think that by nature is a problem. But in context of the film, it just totally pulled me out. I'm like, oh, she just why does she just sound like such a normal person living down a few houses down? <laughs> it was odd to me, but it's funny. She was in she was in Fight Club. She
2: was. She played. Was she, she played
0: weeping woman in Fight Club.
2: Weeping woman.
0: Yeah.
3: that? <laughs> the, Tom, you don't
0: remember weeping woman in Fight Club? <laughs>
3: Was that the one that looked like Meryl Stre- someone put on Meryl Streep's skeleton? The one okay, that's uh, okay. in the church? I, oh, that's uh, a thing. I really like the, Fight Club. Sure. I think she's it,
1: the one speaking at the thing.
0: Who's, and is trying
3: know, to find someone. She to, has many toys and yes, things. If I you'd think. want to. Is that her? Okay. I, I'm going to go with that. Is
0: so. it, it is also one of my, like, in and out of my favorite movie slot. Uh, yeah. Of, and I I can't really place her either.
1: So I, I think I'm going to go with that. Um, she She's also in Sorority House Vampires. So there you go. <laughs> oh, you can right, always, you you can can always were, fall back on that You <laughs> can always yeah. go back to that. Yeah, no, it's it's interesting. Uh, so this is actually you um you mentioned a, another element that these films have, Tommy, the fact that they start with a scene that then they use to kind of almost kind of create a a follow up spin off. Does this have anything like? Do any of you see anything from what we saw here that could potentially become a spin off here?
3: This is the first one that the cold open du- is directly connected to the rest of the movie. Yeah. So no. This one, this one goes from you see the crime happen, the demon crime happen, and then we're going to go solve it versus an Annabelle or Valak, you know, the nun, any of that. So, no, I don't think so. Wait, in this one, I can't remember. Does he put an artifact in the, in the library, in the vault at the end of this one? Yes. And I don't recognize what it is. It's from the, t- it's from the table.
1: Yeah. It's her cup like, that she would put like the egg and, and stuff in, but, but we never but, focus on it much.
3: No, that's, that's what I mean is it's so not iconic compared to like a monkey with symbols or Annabelle or anything else. It's just sort of like, He like brought a pencil from the (laughs) the desk. It was like, yeah, that'll do. (laughs) That was a weird missed thing because you only saw it from above.
2: Yeah. yeah. When she's
3: cracking stuff. And so when he put it on, I was like, what? What's that from?
2: Right. Interesting. I think one possible spinoff could be prequel of Ed and Lorraine because we had that sequence of them falling in love. Interesting. And so what I think of is, is it possible they could Take the temperature of how that's received and do something with their their earlier days. um, What got them into this world?
0: Well, you know, they've been planting the seeds for that, right? Like in the second movie, there was a lot of that. Like, oh, you've heard this story before how I finally met somebody who understood me like that.
1: That (laughs) would be a natural prequel. The only thing that stood out for me, although that definitely stood out for me because we saw just all the, the stuff with their love story and everything. I was like, there, there definitely could be something there. But also, they bring up this whole idea of the Disciples of the Ram cult. And that's oh, really right. what Kastner, the, the uh, John Noble character, he had been working with. And he is the one who had recognized the witch totem, blah, blah, blah. And so I'm like, okay, well, maybe huh. that's what they're doing. And maybe maybe that's why he seemed kind of, just so awkwardly stuck into the movie because maybe they were like, oh, this will be a good spinoff here as we can kind of do his story dealing with this cult, this the Disciples of the Ram
3: oh, story. Oh, that's a yeah. good thought. I forgot
2: about that. That's quite possible. I mean, especially when we're talking about why was he even really there? Well, that might be why he was even really there, you know? Yeah. It might be to, to plant the seeds for the future. Yeah.
0: Exactly. Yeah. Well, and John Noble, I mean, come on. I would I would watch a de-aged John Noble if he goes full Denethor in a in a <laughs> Ram movie. There was a, that was like a Bloomin' onion of movie references right there. Yeah, I apologize. I got lost at some
3: point. There was like an off ramp. <laughs>
1: Well, yeah, I mean, it's it's interesting. I'll be curious to see what they what they decide to do here. I'll be curious to see how the Conjuring universe continues. I mean, I feel like they've kind of wrapped up the Annabelle movies. This feels, as you were saying, Justin, it feels like they're kind of wrapping up the Conjuring movies. I know they're making another Nun movie. Um, I oh, boy. I don't know if they – I haven't heard anything about um, the uh, – um, any follow-ups to La Llorona. Um I did hear for a while that they were talking about a Crooked Man uh, movie, but I think that that got waylaid with um, with this or La Llorona. So I don't know if they're going to continue and if so, in what direction. But I know that James Wan has said, you know, there are hundreds of stories that Ed and Lorraine Warren have been involved in. They could easily jump into some. Amityville was a big one of theirs, but I, I don't think I, – I feel like that franchise had kind of taken care of it on its own. So I'm really curious to see what they do. And, you know, it, it wasn't a perfect film. It I have a lot of issues with it. I still had a lot of fun with it, and I'll still return to The Conjuring uh, universe because I, I just kind of enjoy what they're doing with these films.
2: Are you sure they've done enough with Amityville? There's only about – 58 movies? <laughs> and don't you
0: kind of feel like these? this series is constantly coming back to Amityville? Like, like sort of we could have done it better. We're not going to do it, but we totally could have done it. Like, it's got a real inferiority complex about Amityville.
2: 100% agree. 100% agree. Um,
3: I, yeah, I still had fun. It's more of my disappointment is the fact that it Is a conjuring movie. If it didn't have, if it wasn't a conjuring movie and was just its own thing, I would have been able to put aside a lot more of these quibbles. Uh, But I still, it still had some really great practical stuff. The acting was really good. I also think it has one of the stupidest titles I've ever heard talk about this. The conjuring, the devil made me do it. (laughs) that's so dumb how is everyone not angry about how dumb that is and i know that they have someone in the movie say the devil made me do it just in order to but like
0: well it's also the case itself has become known in popular like legal culture as the devil made me do it case
3: oh it has that's a
0: legit thing yeah
3: oh well now i feel bad i you should not feel bad
0: it's still dumb but (laughs) i would like it was it was dumb before
3: (laughs) right i think it would I wanted to pitch The Conjuring, the devil you say, and then um, The Conjuring, devil if I know, that's it. Oh, and then the last one was The Conjuring, I have chicken shit on my hands, because <laughs> that's what John Noble says. That's his first line.
2: <laughs> you can uh, that, that was my favorite line of the whole movie, just FYI. Oh.
3: For a second, you thought I was just being a weirdo, but no, that's a line from the movie.
2: How about just The Conjuring 3? they, they, they we, we, I, I think yeah, you know. still conjuring why is still
1: conjuring a good point about um you know, uh. if it wasn't an actual conjuring film because Annabelle comes home este- essentially is an ed and Lorraine story it's just more focusing on their daughter but right. it's it, but they're there and so if it if this was kind of like that I think I would have enjoyed it more
3: Who's but. just in the Conjuring universe.
1: Yeah, right. Exactly. Yeah. So <laughs> weird. Well, let's uh, let's give our star <laughs> ratings for this one. Now, Over on letterbox.com, um, you can rank this out of five stars and uh, give it a heart. So where would all of you sit with this? Tommy, let's start with you.
3: Yeah, I have to grade it as a Conjuring movie. And so with that, I will say 2.5, but a heart. Okay. I did like it, and I will probably watch parts of it again. Thanks, all right HBO max
1: Yep, <laughs> <laughs> exactly right <laughs> uh pete how about you
3: oh
0: man i don't know i i am i feel like i'm i'm coming to uh, i haven't given any of these movies a heart let's just i just don't they're n- oh, not my Peter. style i know but i'm coming around to it i think i'm coming around to it like anything the amygdala can be trained and uh i'm doing okay I'm doing okay. So, I it was not as good as one and two. I think I'm in that two and a half star range, uh, too. It's it's a middle of the road, uh, movie for me. And I'm not I'm not there with a heart yet, but maybe it'll get a rewatch. I got to watch the rest of them first. Like, (laughs) Arona, I'm gunning for you. There you
1: go,
2: (laughs) Justin. How about you? So, I typically never use the heart function. So I don't even know whether or not I'd give it a heart. Uh, I I don't know. I'm always, I'm I'm iffy about the heart thing. I don't know. (laughs) So I'm going to, I'm going to abstain from whether or not I'd heart it. Um, But I guess I would technically because uh, I I go three and a half because to me, the other, the first two are solid fours for me. Like I really love those movies. Um, And I really like the, the two Annabelle movies that I've seen and the only two I will see. Um, so, you know, it's, it's a, it's a half a step to a step down a three, three and a half, but I'll give it a three and a half at this point. Um, cause I really did enjoy it. And it's, uh, and I have a special place in my heart for this series because my 12 year old's favorite movies, like he's right. falling in love with these movies. So it gives me something cool to, to watch with him. Uh, so, you know, I, so I'm going to go Three and a half.
1: Three and a half. All right. You know, I think I'm right. It, it kind of in that same zone, all of you are. Um, I find these so easy to watch. I just really enjoy them. So it's easily getting a heart from me just because for that rewatchability factor, I'll, I'll totally look at it again. Um, but and I think i was sitting at three stars. So I think three stars. And a heart. That's where I'll land. So that right. uh, gives us an average of 2.875. And, uh, you know, I feel like <laughs> take that's that okay. Yeah, take that. We'll see how you can how you can sort that out. Um, but, you know, it's, it's a fun one. So 2.875 with the heart and, uh, you know, we'll call it good. Well, all of you, thanks so much for joining, uh, joining me here to talk about the conjuring the devil you say. <laughs> I hope this movie revives uh, waterbed
0: sales. I really do. Do you? I miss a waterbed, a good waterbed.
2: Here, here. You know, my kid had no idea what that was. He was like. Why is there water in the bed? <laughs> now oh, like, they funny. used to have these things called water beds. He's like, were they comfortable? And said, no, not really. <laughs> yeah,
0: they were terrible. <laughs> and all the all the benefits of a bed with none of the comfort or uh,
3: <laughs> and and higher or risk. Or any of the benefits of a yeah. bed. Yeah, you're yeah. right. Exactly. Do you like sleeping? Do you love Dramamine?
1: <laughs> all right. Uh, well, uh, Tommy Pete, it was a pleasure chatting with you both here. You too, Andy. And Justin, thanks so much for coming on board to uh, chat with us today. Do you have any uh, places you'd like to uh, tell people to come find you?
2: Yeah, so uh, you can go to Synapse, uh, which is synapse.co, and then uh, also check out the Farsighted, which is farsightedblog.com. I'm about to launch a new podcast over there uh, called Curtain Jerkers about uh, wrestlers in film. And uh so if you like watching uh mediocre movies with great wrestlers in them uh you know it's definitely a, a fun place to come check that out so yeah I like all of those things <laughs> yeah <laughs> what a wonderfully focused podcast <laughs> <laughs> well, I, I'll have room for guests soon. That's so we'll awesome.
1: Talk. <laughs> all right, everybody. Well, thank you so much for tuning in. Don't forget to join our online community with fellow movie lovers. You can learn more at the slash discord. And if you're interested in supporting us to help keep the lights on and get some great benefits while you're at it, you can head to the com slash membership. Thank you all of you wonderful members out there for your support. As a reminder, uh, we have our monthly member bonus episodes. Uh, we pretty much have been doing one a month this year and keep, plan on keep on going. That's just this show. There's also all the member bonus episodes over on The Next Reel. And members at the two-reeler level also get to vote on what we're going to be uh, uh, talking about. So don't forget to do all the stuff you're supposed to do with your podcasts. Coming up next week, we're looking at Lynn manuel Miranda's and John Cho's In the Heights. Thank you, everybody. Meeting adjourned.
3: Once upon a time. In a faraway land... Called Washington Heights. Say so it doesn't disappear. Washington Lights. Heights! Lights up on Washington Heights Up at the break Yo, of day I wake throwing, up And bro? I got this little punk I gotta chase away Pop the grate at the crack of dawn singing while I wipe down the awning Hey, y'all, uh, good morning.
1: Ice cold filagua, cherry, strawberry
3: And just for today, I got my mate. It's a story of a block that was disappearing. The genius is mad Yo, here's your chance, ask her out right now
2: hey. There's something on your shirt <laughs> Smooth operator, on oh, damn
3: We all had a sueñito And when it came to dreams We had to keep scraping by Maybe this neighborhood is changing forever. Maybe tonight is our last night together, however. I just want to see the whole world through our eyes. They're talking about kicking out all the dreamers. It's time to make some noise.
2: We had to assert our dignity in small ways. Little details that tell the world we are not invisible.
3: This is the moment when you do better than me. Because you can see a future that I can't All of this? This is me. They used to say, you work hard, you live by the rules, the money will come, the things will come. You ready? I've been saving up all my pennies in my piggy bank for this day. Today's all we got, so we cannot save. I built my little dream, my sonnitos. The the Here, ice. in Washington Heights. we the street the we're taking the flight to a couple of days in the life of what it's like in Washington Heights.
0: Supposedly, so much better than the movie. We've also explored Stephen King epics like The Dark Tower and It, biopics like Damien Chazelle's First Man,
1: and sweeping sagas like Denis Villeneuve's take on Frank Herbert's Dune.
0: And don't forget Martin Scorsese's Killers of the Flower Moon, based on David Grant's nonfiction book about the 1920s murders of the Osage Nation. I just finished the book, and it's fantastic.
1: It's always fascinating to look at the source material, and we often do as the book lovers we are. For those of you out there who love to do the same, head to the slash originals to find all of our past episodes and dive deeper into these adapted stories.
0: And it's not just stories. We've included things like the video games Uncharted and Detective Pikachu.
1: That's right. TheNextReel.com slash Originals is your one-stop shop for in-depth looks at the sources for cinematic adaptations that we have discussed. Every purchase you make supports the film board and The Next Reel's family of shows.
0: So what are you waiting for? Head to TheNextReel.com
2: slash Originals and get your next read today.